Coming up next on Grace Alone Radio, a message from the Primitive Baptist Pulpit. For further information about this sermon, locate our contact information on the feedback page at gracealoneradio.net. Now here's today's message from the Primitive Baptist Pulpit. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, I want to set some scripture before you. Let's read verses 12 down through verse 14 to sort of set the background, to set the context of what I want to speak to you about. And the title of the message is The Personal Price of Repentance. The Personal Price of Repentance. Let's read in 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 12. Peter writes and says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, He is evil spoken of, but on your part, He is glorified. Now, the reason I've selected this as sort of a jumping off point is I want you to see that there is a consequence for repenting. There can be negative things that come at us for turning from things that we don't need to continue doing and turning to things that we need to start doing. And that is the basic definition of the word repent, is to turn, to turn from something and turn to something else. It's not just to turn and stand empty-handed, if you will. It's to turn from one thing and turn to do another thing. Stop doing one thing and do something else. In my secular work as an attorney, I have people come to me who have problems. (laughs) I I, I joke and say, I'm never going to run out of a job because until the Lord comes back, people are going to have problems. And so when they come to me with a a legal problem. Sometimes they come with you know, quasi-legal problems. It might be a, a personal uh, family issues or something. I mean, it could be all types of different things, but primarily with a legal issue. They'll come to me and they'll sit down and I'll say, how can I help you? <laughs> and they'll say, well, I need you to do this. And it might be as simple as fixing a deed or fixing a whatever, something small. But then there might be something major where they say, you know, I was injured. I was hurt. Uh, somebody you know, even in my work as an assistant part-time prosecutor, you know, I'll talk to victims and I'll say, what happened? And they'll say, well, this occurred and I was attacked or something was stolen from me and so forth. But when they, when they are looking for a remedy, when they are asking me, what do I do? I say, how can I help you? And they say, I need this fixed. I do the best that I can to take in the facts of their given situation and try to apply what a remedy is for that. It would be folly for me to just sort of ignore the facts and just say, oh, you know, everything's pie in the sky. It's going to work out. There is a price that must be paid, and I'm not talking about the attorney fee, Brother Taylor, (laughs) although that's the case now. i got to make a living. But the point I'm making is there is something that has to be plugged into their situation in order to help them. It might be filing a lawsuit. It might be telling them, go try this. It might be try to reconcile with this party or that party. It could be all types of different things, but the point I'm trying to get across to you is there's a price 
to fix the problem. And why would we think that the Word of God would not have an answer to our problem? And maybe problems, if you're like me. You see, we all have problems. We all have issues. And God has prescribed a general term to address the issues that we face, and it's repentance. I don't want to oversimplify everything, but it is a very simple thing. You'll see from the Word of God as we look at some examples that it can be very simple, but we tend to complicate it so much. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this scenario? What about this exception? And you know, it, it, can, it can be, if we let it be, very simple. But there is a price, the personal price of repentance. You're, you're going to have negative consequences whenever you follow and serve the Lord. So it's very important that you count the cost. You know, there's a guy that's described in the Word of God who went to build a tower, and he didn't count the cost of the tower, and so he looked very foolish because he didn't count up how much it would cost and budget and plan so that he could finish the tower. That's a, that's a reference to the price of repentance. Now listen, there's a place in between my little hometown of Gordo, there's, it's about a 20-minute drive from Gordo over to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which is a, obviously a much larger town than Gordo. But along the way there, on the side of the road, when I was a child, there was a man who decided, I don't even know who the man was, but he decided that he was going to build a racetrack right off of the very busy, which is now a four-lane, back then it was a two-lane, Highway 82. So he was going to build this racetrack, and I was fascinated as a child watching them grade that off and this huge, it looked like a, an oval bowl, you know, beside the road there. And I was so excited. I wanted to go to the races whenever I saw this being built. And for several months, even a year or two, this went on. And then it just kind of stopped and nothing happened. And I, I, as I got older, in my teens, I, I'd still ride by there. You'd see the oval shape. And I wonder, I wonder what happened to that construction of that racetrack. I was so excited as a 10-year-old to go to the races, <laughs> car races. And so I found out later that the man ran out of money. And today, I know where that oval bowl is, but it has pine trees growing up on it that are probably about 15 or 20 years old. The man didn't count the cost. And he let me down. <laughs> I wanted to see the races. <laughs> I tell you, child of grace, if you don't count the cost... You will let others down, but most importantly, you'll let God down. We don't want to let, we don't want to disappoint God. You say, I didn't know God could be disappointed. Absolutely, He could be disappointed. He's been disappointed with me so many times in my life, and I repent, and all of a sudden, He's not disappointed anymore. <laughs> That's a wonderful thing. You know, God is our Father, He's a parent, He's a greater parent than any parent on this planet. And yes, He looks upon us and says, Stop doing this. Pay the price that you have to pay to come out of that particular activity that's harming you or dishonoring God. You see? You know, everybody wants revival. Oh, I wish the, our country would revive. I wish we'd have a great awakening. I wish this, you know, but if you think about it, it comes down to you and it comes down to me. It's not about waiting for somebody to pass a law that's going to bring revival. That's not going to happen. 
It's not about waiting on the church down the road. If they just get straight and get right and, and just figure out what to do, and it's not about looking over to your right or to your left or in front of you or behind you and saying, well, if that person would just get right, we could have revival. Or it's not, especially not looking at your preacher and saying, if he'd just get right, you know, I, I'm just like you. I'm a sinner too. It's about looking at yourself. The only person that can pay the price for repentance is you. So I've had people come to me in my secular work and say, what do I do? And I'll often say, when there, especially when there's options, sometimes it's pretty clear there's really no option here. There's only one thing to do. But occasionally there'll be times when there's three or four things you can do. And I'll always say, well, you know, feel free to go ask any other attorney you know, what their opinion is. But my opinion is that this will fix this. And sometimes they'll say, okay, let's do it. And sometimes they'll say, well, you know, I'm going to get a second opinion. I want you to see that it's pretty simple. The prices that must be paid for personal repentance, they're pretty simple. So let's look at some of them. Look at Matthew, the 19th chapter. Very, very familiar writings here in terms of who these people are. You will recognize them. But I want you to, you say, well, we've heard this before. Well, I want you to focus on the price that was to be paid. There was a, there was a price tag on the personal repentance and let's see what it was, and let's see how it was handled. Matthew 19, and I want you to look at verse 16, the familiar account of the rich young ruler. That's a pretty easy one. And behold, one came and said unto Jesus, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, I don't want to get off on a little rabbit trail, but just please remember that this man has in his mind, his perspective, his reality, which is not correct, the false reality in his mind, I've got to do something to get to heaven. Now, the reality that's going on here, as you will see, is Jesus never responds to him in kind. But he knows what's going on in this man's mind. Jesus is responding to him as we would discuss this subject today. What is the price of repentance? This man needed to repent. See, he was already loved of the Lord. That's sort of a rabbit trail, but you need to keep that in mind because look at the question he asks. What must I do to go to heaven to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why callest thou me good? There's none but good but one, that is God. But if thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. Notice the language. But if thou will enter into life. He didn't say eternal life. You get that? He saith unto him, Which? And Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, Jesus already knows this young man has kept all these things. And the young man says unto him, which is a little bit prideful, he says, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And then Jesus puts the price on him. The man is really concerned about personal repentance. He thinks he's concerned about going to heaven. But he's really worried about his walk with God. And Jesus says, if thou will be perfect. Notice that, mature. He didn't say if you will go to heaven. He says, if you will be perfect or mature, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now listen to me very carefully. This is instructional for us in our lives when it comes to paying the price of repentance. This does not mean that everybody that has riches needs to go and sell them. That's, that's not what he's saying. In this man's life, in this rich young ruler's life, what he needed to do in his context was to get rid of those things. And furthermore, if you think about it, the Son of God in flesh is walking on the planet at that time. 
And this man, this man has the incredible opportunity to have been one of those disciples that would have followed along to know the Lord better. <laughs> you know, who knows? Maybe we would have had a, a book written by this guy that was inspired, you know, by the Spirit of God. Who knows? What if? You know, what if he had repented? He had the opportunity to repent. He had the opportunity to pay the price that Jesus laid before him, but he chose not to. Now, the irony of all this to me is that the, the man is thinking about heaven. I mean, think about it. If somebody, somebody had actually told this man, now all you got to do to go to heaven, to enjoy eternal bliss and eternal life forever, is to go and sell everything that you had. And he wouldn't do it. You see, that is proof that a work system always fails. You know, he's walking away thinking, I'm going to hell. And the disciples are actually thinking, he's going to hell? This guy's going to hell? After I, we see all the good that he's done? See how confusing that system is? Oh, isn't it wonderful to believe in grace? Isn't it wonderful to know that this is a blood-bought child of God whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life and he was just confused? You know any confused uh, children of God? Hey, I've been a confused child of God. We all have. But this man would not pay the price of personal repentance. You hear me? His price was to let go of those things that were prohibiting him from enjoying fellowship with the Lord. It was an idol. It was an idol. You know what an idol is? An idol is an ultimate thing. You say, well, I'm, it's good that we don't have idols anymore this day and time. I beg to differ. <laughs> we are a more idolatrous uh, culture than probably at any time in history. You say, well, we don't have those little things up on the wall and, you know, bow and, you know, burn incense to this, to that. I mean, some people still do, but you understand, you know, as, as far as that goes, you know, when the Lord Jesus Christ came and brought the light of truth, you know, most of your false God worship, most of it, began to just unravel. Okay, so Satan knows that. So Satan is the master of, of repackaging things. Right. So he just repackages the idols and sends them back in a different way. In this day and time, this is without a doubt an idol. Right. You know, let the record reflect that I'm referring to my iPad. <laughs> uh, and if you've got a phone or whatever, those are idols. Those can be idols. Okay? He said, the preacher's got to stop preaching. He's gone to meddling now. Well, when people come to see me in my secular work, you know, I have to meddle. <laughs> and what is the point of preaching if it's not meddling? <laughs> God wants people's lives to be meddled with. So we shouldn't take offense at, the, at what sounds like meddling. It's not meddling. It's care and it's love. Because the Lord cares enough about you to want to have fellowship with you and not have idols in the way. The Lord is not pleased with idols. It might be a phone. It might be a TV. It might be, oh, it's just a, just a litany of things that you could name. It could be something for you that it's not for me. It could be something for me that it's not for someone else. For the rich young ruler, that was his idol. It was an ultimate thing for him. And he would suffer so much loss and disappointment emotionally and personally if he let those things go. But what he doesn't understand is that the joy of the presence of the Lord, and, and that is so much greater riches than the riches that he had. You see, people that are holding on to their idols have never let them go, so they don't even know what's on the other side. Now, an idol is an ultimate thing. Will you sit down with a pen and a paper or maybe your notes in your iPad or your iPhone and take stock of your life? Will you go down through your life and say, is this an idol? 
Nine times out of ten, if you have to ask the question, is it an idol, it probably is. <laughs> it, does this get in my way of serving God? Do I think more of this than I do of church or worship or the Word of God or the Spirit of God? Do I spend more time thinking about these things than I do other things? <laughs> I was just telling my children a, couple, a few days ago when I was with them before we left, we were talking about watching TV and things like that. There's nothing wrong with watching TV. There's nothing wrong with that. But it can become an idol. It was an idol for me. My default, because of the, the amount of movies and TV that I watched in my teen years and college years, that was my default to just sit down and just kind, of, just kind of bug out and watch what was on. It didn't matter what was on. Just watch it. I mean, you know, it's got to be something important if it's on. <laughs> and I, I can't, I, I'm ashamed to tell you how many times I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> I mean, I can almost quote every scene. You know, because I wanted to be Indiana Jones. You know, I mean, that, that's, that was my goal in life at one point as a small fella. But I'm ashamed at how much time, I, and I, I mean, that's not even the bad part. I was also into music. And I memorized, I bet you I could sit down and sing for you three to four hundred songs without missing a word from those songs. He said, that's amazing, Brother Tim. You're amazing. No, I'm a fool. Because I should have been memorizing the Word of God. And today, I'm crippled in my ministry because I have to look to the Word of God so I won't misquote it. But I could have spent that good brain power of when I was a teen and a young adult working on the Word of God and memorizing it instead of eagle songs. <laughs> I'm ashamed of that. I wasted that time. But praise be to God, when the Lord showed me that was the price for my repentance, I stopped memorizing songs. I can't sing you a modern song in the last 20 years. I can't do it because <laughs> I don't have time for that anymore. I mean, there might be a good song to listen to and maybe pick around on the guitar, but, what, but I'm not impassioned with that anymore. I'm not seeking that as my goal in life anymore. I want to pay the price for repentance, which is to not memorize those things anymore. Not sit in front of the television all the time anymore, but sit in front of the Word of God. Worship with the people of God. Spend time fellowshipping with God's people. The rich young ruler would not pay that price. His price was to get rid of his riches. Listen, you say, but I'm going to lose. Let me tell you something. Loss is good if it brings you closer to the Lord. <laughs> it's good. Let me tell you a little funny story. Uh, my mom tends to hold on to things, you know, stuff. I mean, I do too. You know, I joke with Sister Tracy all the time, we need to get rid of this stuff. You know, but then when it comes to my stuff, I don't want to get rid of it. I've had that since I was 14. Why would you want to get rid of that? That uh, Coleman lantern, it still works. <laughs> you know, I've had it since I was 14. It's special to me. But let's get rid of your stuff. <laughs> you know? Your stuff's not that important to you, but don't get rid of my stuff. So my mom's got a little bit of stuff. You know, she has a, a barn behind the house, you know, and there was a bunch of stuff in there. And one day my dad and I, she wasn't around, and dad was just kind of thinking, you know, we need to get this straightened up a little bit. So we got the big bucket, 4030 John Deere tractor over there. We started loading it up, and I was having time in my life, and I was kept looking around like, well, I hope she doesn't show up. <laughs> Because we're loading, I mean, it's piled to over the top, falling over the back of the bucket. And it's an extra large bucket that my dad welded and built. I mean, it's huge. It's not like a little standard little green bucket. <laughs> and so the bucket on the tractor was filled. And we're about, I'm, get, I'm in the seat raising up, I'm in the seat of the tractor raising up the bucket to go and take it and dump it in somewhere far away. So she'll never know where it is. <laughs> and all of a sudden she shows up. <laughs> 
And she comes out there and she says, oh, this is great. You're cleaning up. Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. You know, and, and I'm still trying to back away. Uh, let's get out of here. And then she starts looking in the bucket. Oh, wait a minute, Harold, wait. What? That's what the kids did. And here we go. I was like, it's over. It's over. And we took every single thing out of that bucket and put it back in the junk pile. <laughs> that's just how we are. I do the same thing. Now, if those things prohibit us from drawing close to the Lord, they need to go. I'll tell you another funny one. As I finally got some of, rid of some of that stuff later, after my dad passed away, there was a big pile out in front of the barn, and I said, well, I'm going to push it over. Most of it would burn, and I'm going to push it over into this burn pile so I can burn all this. We'll get rid of it. Mom actually relinquished some of those grand possessions. Junk. <laughs> and so here I am, and I'm scraping everything over there, pushing it over to the junk pile. I'm, I'm victorious. I'm finally getting rid of this stuff. And mom comes running up, Wade, Wade, Wade. And I slam on the brakes and she goes digging down. I can't even see her. She's over in the front. She's digging in the ground, digging, 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 digging. And then all of a sudden she stands up and she's got a matchbox car. She said, we can't throw this away. A matchbox car. And I just go, oh my goodness. That's how we are. Don't throw away the matchbox cars. Tim and, Tim and Chris played with those when they were three. They put them in their mouth and chewed on them. Don't throw them away. <laughs> That's how we are. Every time I come across that, even with my own stuff, I look at that Coleman lantern and I think, <laughs> that's going to burn one day. And I don't mean burn bright camping out. I mean God's going to burn it up one day. We're not gonna I'm not going to take it with me to heaven. <laughs> it's going to burn. The molecules and atoms in that substance are just going to let go one day when the Lord says, let go. Loss is good if it brings you closer to the Lord. The rich young ruler would not pay that price. Look at Matthew 26 and 75. That was riches that he would not let go to draw closer to the Lord. In Matthew 26 and 75, here we have someone exhibiting an attitude that they would not let go. Here... We come to the last verse of Matthew 26, and this is where Peter has denied Jesus and his terrible attitude three times. And not only that, he has cursed. It doesn't even print the word here because it was too ugly to print. It says he cursed and he swore, I do not know the man. And immediately in the back somewhere over there, the old rooster crows. <laughs> I tell you, you think the Lord can't use a rooster to bring somebody to repentance? Here the Lord uses a, the crow of a rooster. So you say, well, you're not getting to me, Brother Tim. Well, maybe you'll hear a rooster crow and it'll bring you to repentance. <laughs> the people at Laodicea, when they drank their lukewarm water that flowed in from two different directions, they thought of repentance. See, the Lord could use anything. If I can't get to you, if, I, if what the Word of God says doesn't affect you, well, He may use a rooster. <laughs> And by the way, the Son of God is the one that told Peter about this, not poor old pitiful sinner brother Tim, but the perfect Son of God. And he still didn't get it. And Peter says, I don't know him. Blankety blank, I don't know him. And then the cock crows. And Peter comes to his mind. And he remembers the word of Jesus. Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Not just once. Not just twice, but three times. Almost three times in a row. It was probably spread out over a couple hours, but still. And he went out and he wept bitterly. He would not pay the price of repentance, which was to lose that attitude. 
that he had. So it doesn't have to be a substance. It doesn't have to be a riches or houses or land. It can be a personal position held within your heart and mind. And he would not let it go. Look at Acts the 19th chapter. One of my favorite accounts in the book of Acts has always been the revival, which was a result of the personal price of repentance being paid by people in the city of Ephesus. And in Acts the 19th chapter, you read in verse 18 that many that believed came and confessed. This is Paul preaching the gospel in Ephesus. And they showed their deeds. There were many people paying the price here. Because Paul was telling them, serve the Lord. Do you honestly think that what we see here played out in effect was, do you really think Paul wasn't meddling in their lives? <laughs> you know, you think he wasn't telling them that this is right and this is wrong. You're spending too much time with this and not enough time with this. You see, God intended that. God uses the foolishness of preaching if it's of the Lord and it's presented in a speaking the truth in love kind of way. He uses the foolishness of preaching to bring revival to the lives of people. As a matter of fact, if you read about the, some of the great revivals in the Word of God, you'll find that it's centered around their return to the Word of God. The days of Josiah where they found the book of the law in the temple. That's funny, isn't it? They found the Bible in the church. Of all places to find the Bible, they found it in the church. It's interesting to note that they found the Bible behind the money that had been collected up in the church. They had lost focus of what the church was about. It was behind the money. When they got the money out and got that issue out of the way, oh my goodness, there's the Bible. What does it say? They started reading it and then they go, oh my goodness, we need to repent. And they take it to the king and the king looks at it and he says, oh my goodness, let me take my coat off. And he rips his expensive purple robe in two. He says, we've got to make some changes. It's the Word of God that brings revival. It's not Washington, D.C. It's not the halls of Congress. It's not the Capitol in North Carolina or Montgomery, Alabama. It's, that's not where revival comes from. It comes from people seeing what is going on in their life and taking account of what is going on and seeing what the Word of God says. And the Lord blesses that, you see? The great awakening that you read about in history or the great reformation that occurred. All of those things centered around a return to the Word of God. People seeing this Word applies to me. It's not for the folks from way back. It's not for just looking in the past. And it's not just for looking in the future. It's for me today as I go into my home and I interact with my family or I interact with my husband or my wife or my children or whatever it may be. It is for me. It is to be applied by me today. That's revival. <laughs> You say, well, what if I'm the only one? Doesn't matter if you're the only one. Did you know that every great movement in history has started with either only one person or several people, two or three people together? Why do you think the Lord said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them? It doesn't take a 10,000. It doesn't take a million. It just takes you and me, child of God. That's the price. Many of them also, verse 19, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. Now, this is not a Nazi book burning, okay? <laughs> That's not what this is. This isn't a Hitler-esque book burning. It says these people, what these things were, let me just try to put it in perspective of today and be very real about it. These books were books of witchcraft. Now, look, this doesn't mean that you can't read good fiction and things like that. They were using these as ways to, con they thought, to connect with God. 
Okay? That's what they were using these books for. And so they realized that's not the way to connect with God. As a matter of fact, that's false God worship. So they were getting rid of false God idol worship in their own homes. You say, well, I still can't quite connect with it. Listen, these are things that they opened up and they looked at. This is something that you open up and you look at. Does that make sense? That phone is something that you look at. I'm not just picking on the phone and the iPad, but it vexes me. <laughs> I spend too much time with it sometimes. One of the greatest vexations I have on a weekly basis that I try to ignore is my screen time pops up. <laughs> Do y'all know that's on your phone? Your screen time pops up and, I, and it says 27 hours in one day. I can't believe it. It vexes me. I think I spent that much time. Now, I, now look, I, and I'm always trying to make excuses, I know. But I do understand there are some of those apps that continue to run when I'm not even looking at them. Okay, I get that, but, but I still look at it and I go, I have to look at the individual breakdown. Did I really spend that much time? You know, I look, here was Netflix, you know, 27 hours in one day. You know, here's the Bible app, 32 seconds. Boy, how sad is that? <laughs> and I'm being funny about it, but think about it. Have you looked at yours? That's what he's talking about here. Now, does that mean we go and we toss our iPad or we toss our phone or whatever? If that's what it takes to have a closer relationship with the Lord and closer fellowship with the Lord, then maybe that's what needs to be done. The world is not going to come to end if you're not online. Did you know that? The world's going to continue being online and everybody's going to continue to look flashy and, and be what they're not online on social media. It's going to continue. But maybe that's what you need. Just take a break. You can't meditate with earbuds in your ear. You can't do it. I've tried. Take a break. Step back. And let the Lord speak to you through His Word, through His Spirit, through just meditating on Him. That's what these people did right here. They brought these very expensive books to the courthouse square and they piled them up and they burned them. These books were laced with gold and with silver. And it's kind of interesting because there was some poor guy or girl standing by, probably an accountant, a little bean counter, and they were sitting by as they watched this happen. And it says somebody counted the price of these books that people kept bringing and tossing in the middle, and they're just burning and flaming them up. The reason they were burning them is so they wouldn't be a snare to someone else. Okay, It's not because they were mad and having some kind of protest. It's not a protest. It was a profess is what they were doing. We love the Lord enough to let this go that's in the way of our fellowship with Him. You see? And so somebody's standing there by sweating and just going, Oh my goodness, there's another, there's another silver book laced with silver. That was worth $100. Oh, that one was worth $50. That one was worth $1,000. I can't believe. Oh, if they just give them to me. And they're just keeping up with how much is going down. Somebody was standing by doing that. See, there was loss. But it was good loss. It was good. It's good to let some things go. It would be good for the rich young ruler to get rid of those things that were hindering him from fellowshipping with the Lord. It would be good for Peter to lose his attitude so that he could actually stand by the Lord. And he does, by the way. On the day of Pentecost, he's a different man about 50 days later. He's a different man than he was on the night when he heard that rooster crow. And look at what it says in verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed because they paid the personal price of repentance the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. That's the price of repentance. What about the Apostle Paul in Philippians, the third chapter? The Apostle Paul says this in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, 
those I counted lost for Christ. And I don't think any of us have had more than the Apostle Paul had. He was the smartest guy in the class. He was the most highly decorated young guy in the class. He held dual citizenship with Rome and, is, and Judah, uh, Jerusalem, the Jews. He had everything. And he lost everything. Lost it all. Voluntarily laid it down at the feet of Jesus. And he says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Isn't that something? He lost everything. He lost reputation. He lost status. He went through fiery trials that I trust none of us will ever experience. So put it into context when we talk about what, we, what price we pay. We're not talking about, at least at this point in culture and life and history, we're not talking about paying the price that Paul paid. Nobody's calling. It's not the circumstance where you have to do that yet. But there's coming a time when there will be. Before the Lord returns, it will be a price that has to be paid for the children of God, by the children of God. To maintain fellowship with God, there will be a time when all things have to be laid by the side, like Paul. So you say, well, how can I do that? You can do it like Paul. Somebody's already done it. Somebody's already blazed the trail. Okay, if that's not good enough for you, turn back a page to Philippians 2. What the rich young ruler needed to give up what Peter needed to give up, what the folks gave up there at Ephesus, and what Paul gave up cannot be compared to what Jesus gave up. Amen. Cannot be compared. And Jesus is not asking you to give up what he had to give up. See? Only he could do that. Philippians 2 and verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you. Child of God, if you go away from here today and learn anything at all, let this mind be in you about what it takes to pay the price of repentance, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't need to repent because he didn't have sin. You understand? But this is the price he paid, and he didn't even need to repent. You get it? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It means he was God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He says, that's terrible that he had to go through all that. It is terrible. And he went through it for you, for your sins, and for my sins. Can you picture in the, in the regal splendor of heaven as the Son of God is on the throne in heaven and the time comes, that's kind of a misnomer in heaven because it's eternity, but the moment or whatever comes, it's now uh, opportune for the Lord to go down and take on flesh. And there He is in all of His regal splendor. You can see it uh, in, in the book of Ezekiel. You can see it in the book of John. You can see what was going on there in heaven as the cherubims and the seraphims, and they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And here He is in all of His splendor, and the voices of, of, of millions, of, yea, billions of saints are crying out honors and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He stands up off of that throne, and He takes off His royal robes, and He goes down into this wicked, sin-cursed earth and walks upon this earth for 33 years at some odd years, and he, he lets all of that go. None of us will ever have to give up what He gave up. So it's nothing to give up what you're, you're holding on to. Whatever that may be for you, whatever that may be for me, it's nothing. He gave up everything. He gave up fellowship 
Listen, it's bad enough to lose the throne like he did and leave the throne. I don't say lose the throne, but leave the throne. But he gave up fellowship with God. The Lord turned his face away from him in judgment upon him for your sins. He lost something for a moment with his father that you will never have to lose for all of eternity. You say, well, Brother Tim, how do I do it? Matthew 9 and 9. <laughs> First of all, you understand you don't have to give up what Jesus gave up. But in Matthew 9 and 9, it is this simple. Listen to this. It says, Jesus passed forth from thence and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. Matthew had a, a, a high-paying job. Now, it was not the best job in the world to have, <laughs> but it was a high-paying job. And I trust that Matthew did it right. He wasn't cheating people and so forth. So Jesus walks by and he sees Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. He's taking in the Roman taxes right then and there. And he looks at him and he says, follow me. And he arose and he followed him. He said, wait a minute. He didn't send a two-week notice in? No, he didn't send a two-week notice in. He got up and he followed the Son of God. It is that simple, child of God. He said, well, what am I going to do about this and about that? Let the Lord take care of this and that. Just follow the Lord. Just let that go, whatever it may be, that's consuming your time and your mind and preventing you from being able to, to spend that time with God. You see, the mechanics of it are very simple. The Lord is the master of replacement therapy. You said, what am I going to do? The Lord tells the liar to stop lying and tell the truth. The Lord tells the thief to stop stealing and get a job and go earn money and give it away, some of it away. The Lord tells those that are bitter to root out that bitterness and start loving other people. You see, the Lord is the master of replacement therapy. You don't want to be like the man in Luke 11 and 24 where it says he got rid of the devil and it says that he went out in dry places seeking rest. You understand, that man did not go and pay the price that he needed to pay. He got rid of whatever was vexing him, and he went out to the desert. Have y'all ever been to a desert? It's dry, it's hot, it's windy, and there's no water. And there's this fellow wandering around, wondering, he's wandering and wondering why his life is not going like it ought to be going after he's gotten rid of this problem that he had. Well, he's in a desert. That's no wonder. Duh, you're in a desert. You're just wandering around in a desert. Well, I can't find any water. I can't, you know, how many friends are you going to meet in a desert? A few weeks ago, we went to the Badlands. We rode through there. And man, that's a desert out there. And we saw a few people that were passing through in their cars. We got out and walked around. But it was getting late. And I was like, I want to get out of here. You know, it's just kind of spooky, eerie out here. There's no water. There's, it's just kind of quiet. And there's, it's just, you know, rattlesnakes. Let's get out of here. It's a desert. And so the man goes back and he looks at where he was and he thinks, well, you know, I couldn't really find any rest out there in the desert, any water, any friends, because there are none. I'll just go back. It wasn't so bad. That is the worst thing that a child of God can do. It says the last state of that man was worse than the first. You see? You don't want to be like that. Have you paid the price? Are you paying the price now? If you are, I encourage you to keep paying it because this is the interesting thing about the price of repentance is you may have to pay it again and again and again. You know, when I've sat down and wanted to just veg out and watch, you know, untold hours of, of some show, binge watch some show, you know, I, I have to say, whoop, whoop, whoop. I got to do some other things. I need to see the Lord's people more than I need to see that screen. You know, I need to see the Word of God and, and maybe study for the message on Sunday, you know, before I just sit there and binge watch something for 26 hours or 27 hours. But we're living in a time when there is unrestrained, unfettered access to whatever your poison may be. 
Whatever you want to do, you can find a way to do it. And most of the places, it's legal. <laughs> Don't lose sight of what your price is for repentance. I'll leave you a little story. I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I'm fixing to share it with you. For about eight years of my life, I was pursuing a musical career. Moved to Nashville, lived up there, rode on Music Row. I mean, that, that's you can ask my poor wife. I dragged her all over the southeast United States, playing this place, playing that place, had a band. I mean, we were all over. And I was writing music, working with some great people. I mean, I mean, high up type people. So it was all, the road was kind of paved for me there. Until the Lord began to whisper in my ear about my price for repentance. And through all of those years of playing music, I never drank, never smoked, never ran around with women. You know, I just wanted to play music. And I thought, well, that justifies what I'm doing. I can play anywhere I want to just because I'm not doing those things. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> but I always prided myself, and I use the word pride. All those years, I said, when we have people that support us, or groups that support us, I'll never be supported by an alcoholic beverage company. You know, you see these signs up at these places that people play. It says Budweiser. It says, you know, whatever the other names are. You know, And I just said, well, that'll keep me clean. I'll never be supported by an alcoholic beverage company. <laughs> and so the Lord worked on me through a number of years, and it finally came down to the last time to play, the last one. And we were playing Tuscaloosa City Fest in, gosh, was it 1999, I guess? We're opening up for people like Willie Nelson and some other folks like that. And they had two stages. And I looked up at the two stages and one said WTXT, the local radio station. And the other stage said Budweiser. And I said in my little strongly convicted heart, I said, well, you know, if they put us on the Budweiser stage, I just guess I won't play. Well, they put us on the Budweiser stage and I played. <laughs> All that conviction. <laughs> you know, the devil knows how to come after you. So I said, what can it hurt? This is the last time. I'm fixing to get the monkey off my back. I'm going to be free from this addiction that I have to music. This is it. It's over. We're going to go have one more little hoorah, and then we'll move on with what I need to be doing, which is preaching the Word of God. <laughs> oh, we can get so confused in this life. If you think you're confused, you need to talk to me. <laughs> so I get up there, and we play our set, and we end it all, and I remember coming across the bridge there in Tuscaloosa, crossing the river, and just thinking, oh, thank you, God, it's over. I felt like I had been set free from a prison. And I didn't realize what prison I was in. And you won't either until you let it go. And you walk out of that prison. And I think, I'm not bound by those Eagle Songs memorizations anymore. I'm not bound by trying to figure out the next one-liner maybe hit that I might try to write. I'm not bound by where I'm going to be playing, what gig is going to be going, what state, where next, or who we're going to be opening up for. I'm not bound by what's going on on Music Row anymore. I'm free from these things. Riding across there just thinking, praise God, I'm free. So we go on back out to the farm and have a restful night that night. I get up, we're living in the old farmhouse out there on the farm. It's an old dog trot house, you know, with the middles cut out. And I walked out on the porch and I stretched and I thought, this is a great day. This is the first day of the rest of my life. I've paid the price of repentance and I'm free. <laughs> and then I walked out to the mailbox to get the morning newspaper. Tuscaloosa News and I'm happy smiling and I open it up to the front page. And there's the Tim McCool band, Budweiser. For, every, for the 100,000 people that subscribe to it to see. Right. It said, Budweiser, Tim McCool Band, and there I am. Woohoo! <laughs> like a fool. It only took one time to compromise, and there comes Satan. 
He gets you. He gets you. And by the way, for years, five to ten years, people would tell me when I would see them, hey, I saw your picture on the front page of the paper. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> hey, by the way, I'm preaching now. Why don't you come to church? Come visit. You know, <laughs> it was hard to get out from under that stigma. Child of grace, I'm not saying it's easy. That's why I read you that the fiery trial that comes to you for the sake of paying the price of repentance, let me tell you, it's worth it. It is worth it, and whatever you have to go to, through to pay that price, I tell you, Christ is worthy of laying it down. May the Lord bless you. been listening to a message from the Primitive Baptist Pulpit. Would you like to hear this message again? You can find additional airtimes for this sermon by consulting the schedule at gracealoneradio.net.